0: Matthew chapter 7 is where we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. And the title of this message is You Are a Judgmental Hypocrite. (laughs) Welcome to church. (laughs) Jesus, here in the Sermon on the Mount, says these things starting in chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot, with, underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you with our Bibles open, we are cognizant. Conscious of the fact that our hearts are open before you. You, you know us. You see all things. You, you know, honestly, where we are judgmental and hypocritical. And you love us still. You know where we're holding people in bondage to our own bitterness. You love us still. You know where we're pretending to be self-righteous. And you love us still. You know where we're masking and faking it. And you love us. And so, in your love today, Would you, through the hearing and preaching of your word, bring us into a place of honesty and integrity before you? That you, Holy Spirit, right now would give us a desire to obey Jesus in our hearts and in our relationships together, which are really hard, Lord, and really messy and complicated. But you love us individually and you love us together and you want us to be a church, that is merciful and compassionate, forgiving and loving with each other. So help us be that church, Lord. Please help us. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. And we ask together that you would please by your spirit, according to grace, anoint me to teach and preach in a way that's faithful to you and helpful to the furtherance of your purposes. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've just cracked the last chapter there of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. And I don't know if you've picked up on this or not, but within popular culture, we have a lot of sayings that we use often outside of the church that actually come from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you noticed that. Like that phrase, go the extra mile. That's something that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5. We use it all the time. Like, dude, you got to go the extra mile. Especially if you're like a boss talking to an employee, right? You're like, go the extra mile. Pay the last penny. We've heard that one before, right? Hey, you're going to pay the last penny, dude. That came from the words of Jesus. How about this one? Don't toot your own horn. We've all heard that one, right? You all do that. Don't toot your own horn. That came from the words of Jesus, talking about people who wanted to put their good works on display, this one, politicians use, all sorts of people use in all sorts of weird ways. Apply it to America and this, that, and the other. But a city on the hill, a city on the hill. That that also comes from Jesus's words, talking about who we're supposed to be. Salt to the earth. You heard that one? You heard that one? You guys are so non-responsive. You're going to make me. Uh, you're going to make me judge you. I don't want to do that. So be responsive. Salt to the earth. You heard that one? Yeah, right. We use that all the time like, "Oh, dude, she's she's just so she's great. She's so salt to the earth kind of people." I don't know what that means. Maybe she doesn't shave her armpits. I, I don't know what <laughs> you're getting at with salt to the earth, but it's not what Jesus meant. But these ancient words of Jesus have made their way into popular culture and adopted different meanings, and they now become little mantras for our culture, and the most popular one is right before us. Do not judge. Lest ye be judged. You hear that one all the time in popular culture. Dude, don't judge me, right? Don't be judgmental. You're so judgmental. Don't judge. It's interesting that this popular cultural refrain finds its roots in the Bible, do not judge, a book that is predominantly about judgment and how to avoid it through Jesus. And the way our culture has uh, sort of hijacked these words and the way our culture uses it is usually in self-defense, right? If you ever tried to share like Christian things with someone, like don't judge me in self-defense on moral or ethical issues. And there's some real tension there because the church is called to engage with the world on moral and ethical issues, Perhaps that is why studies show us that 87 percent of non-Christians view Christians as judgmental. And that make you feel good? Just round it up for preaching sake. 90 percent. 90 percent of people that are out there view us in here as being judgmental. And they're probably right in some respects. Christians are also supposed to live as salt and light in the world. As examples as it comes to moral and ethical issues. Perhaps that is why 85% of non-Christians view us as hypocrites. Judgmental hypocrites. And they're, they're, they're probably right in some respects. But this text is not about what they think. This text is about the way that we are supposed to be as the community of Jesus with each other. That's what this text is about. The way that we are supposed to live out personal, intimate relationships within the church. But it's interesting that our perceptions of one another are probably pretty consistent. Probably see each other as being pretty judgmental and even hypocritical. And Jesus is asking us not to be that way. That's what he's doing in the text. He's explicitly asking us not to be judgmental and not to be hypocrites. Now in that, we realize that Jesus did not anticipate that the Christian community, the church would be perfect. Breathe a sigh of relief. He didn't expect that we would be perfect. He knows that our lives that our relationships, that our stuff is going to be messy. It's going to be some real failures there, some real, some real heartache, some real letdown, some real error and offense. And knowing that his people were going to be messy, be this way and not be perfect, he, he actually does want us to deal with that. He wants us to deal with those things within the church. The whole of scriptures is consistent with this. Take, for example, Galatians chapter six, verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you too may be tempted. Think about Matthew 18 tells us to deal with these things. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. We are also supposed to be a people of God who are formed by the word of God to have discernment in our midst about what is right and wrong. Look at Hebrews. Solid food, speaking of the word of God and our consumption of it, solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So when Jesus says, do not judge, he isn't asking us not to recognize or deal with sin or to cease to discern between what is right and wrong, truth and error. We're supposed to do those things. We're just not supposed to do them in a way that is judgmental or hypocritical. We're supposed to do them in a way that is loving and brotherly. So Jesus is speaking to us, his followers, and says, do not judge lest you be judged. So what does he mean there with that tension of, if your brother sins, go to him. Restore someone in sin. Be discerning and do not judge. What what is he saying there? Well, it might help to clarify what he isn't saying. First of all, Jesus here is not condemning uh, civil law or the place of courts and judges. This has nothing to do with that. This is about personal relationships. Nor, important to recognize, is this text about church discipline. That's some different texts and that's a different sermon. Nor is it about doctrinal issues. Jesus is not saying we're supposed to suspend our opinions or discernment on theological issues in the church and not deal with those or deal with them only in this way. This is not about that. And it certainly isn't telling us to ignore sin. It's telling us to deal with it. But how are we supposed to do it? And what spirit, with what attitude do we approach this sin thing that we all do? within the body as we interact. The key to helping us understand this is learning the difference between discerning and condemning. The difference between discerning and condemning. We are to discern right from wrong, which means we are to think critically. We're to think critically about Our lives, our our relationships, each other, and one another's lives, we're to think critically, but we are not to be critical. And there's a difference. Seems like a nuance, seems muddy, but it's not. Think about it. When you're listening to my sermons, I hope that you are always listening and thinking critically. Is this true? Does this line up with scripture? Is there integrity here? Is this logical? Is this truly the way of Jesus? I would always hope that you are thinking critically when listening to my sermon, but I don't want you to be critical. You get that? You understand? I need more from you today. I honestly do. I honestly do. I want you to think critically, but not to be critical. There is a difference. We're to be discerning and to deal with stuff in each other's lives, but not condemning. There's a way in which we do this. This is why Jesus says in verse two, for the way, the way, spirit, the vibe, the attitude, the approach in which you judge, you will be judged. So the idea of do not judge here is really the idea of do not condemn. And we'll just talk around that for a moment. How might we think of of condemnation? We'll, We'll put this definition up here. To be condemning is to be a fault finder. You know this person. You know this person. You might be this person. To be condemning is to be a fault finder who is overly critical. That's an important phrase. Overly critical and negative. That's really important here, okay? So there's some difference between approaching people in love, hoping for and working for their best, But just being negative toward people and their stuff. To be condemning is to be a fault finder who is overly critical and negative toward others and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. You know this person. I've been this person. A critical spirit, we say within our Christianese, a sin sniffer. They feel that it is their spiritual gift to sniff out and find the sin in our lives. It's not. It's not a spiritual gift. (laughs) It's a wrong attitude that Jesus is trying to correct in the text. This condemning sort of attitude is overly critical. It's negative. It takes joy in seeing when others are not doing well and it's looking to discover those things. You get what I'm getting at here? Thank you. That was a good response. (laughs) Love you. This person, and I've been this person, is the type of person that assumes the worst about other people's motives. Assumes the worst about their motives. You know, that's the thing about a judge is we expect within even our court system, though this is not talking about that, but we expect that judges will withhold judgment until they have all the information. The reason that we can trust God to judge is because he has all the information. We never have all the information. We never have all the information. So we need to be gracious when it comes to thinking about one another's motives. But the wrongly judgmental sort of person always assumes the worst about someone's motives rather than thinking, well, maybe she had a bad day or maybe she's really fearful in this area and this is some sort of defense mechanism. Or maybe she's really been hurt here. Or maybe she just doesn't quite understand that. We assume the worst about their motives. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is addressing here. This person, and I have been this person, and am this person sometimes, is ungenerous toward other people's mistakes. They're not gracious. They're exacting. I'm so like that. Very gracious with myself. Right, like when I sin, I'm like, oh, you naughty boy, it's okay. <laughs> but exacting with others, I can be that way. Ask my wife, ask my wife. Generous of myself, exacting with others. That's what Jesus is trying to draw us away from. This, the spirit of this thing is when we're looking to denounce and dismiss someone rather than love and restore them. Because it's so much easier to denounce and dismiss That's wrong, you're wrong, you're out. Rather than to love and restore, that's wrong, you're going the wrong way, I love you, let's keep it in. So much harder. This text doesn't mean that we do not assess each other's actions critically, but rather that we do not judge each other, condemn each other harshly in a way that dismisses and denounces. It's not to suspend critical thinking. Rather, it is a plea from Jesus to be generous in love with our fellow sinners. Generous in love with each other as we sin. And it's an attitude of heart. It's really what it is. I mean, it feels a little muddy and nuanced, but it's an attitude of heart. Am I in my heart as I think about this person and whatever, their failures or their sins or the way they sin against me, am I looking to dismiss and denounce and condemn them or am I looking to help and love and restore and care for them? It's really an attitude of heart that comes from a deep place. Am I just being critical or do I actually want to be helpful? Again, it could seem hard to tell the difference between the two, but maybe this helps. I think we know generally how it feels when we perceive ourselves to be judged right we it's easier to know when you've been judged than to know when you're judging we're much better at discerning our own feelings right so like i think we know what that is when you're like dude i i'm sorry i'm i blew it be gracious with me nope i think we know what that feels like and you're out the dismissal, the, the denouncement. i think we We know what that feels like. Maybe that helps us to realize those times when we're being that way. But you know what? I think we know when we're being that way. I think we know when we're doing it. When we're looking to cut someone off rather than bring them in. Jesus is providing us help here, showing us a way to avoid that. And the first hint that he gives us is realizing in verse two that we are being and will be evaluated or judged by God. Verse two, for in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, remember, this is talk within the Christian community. This is within the kingdom. So Jesus here is addressing those who have put their faith in Christ and been forgiven for their sins. So he's not talking about ultimate judgment for sins. You didn't, you know, that's not what he's talking about. But we are by God, even as those who have been forgiven of our sins as followers of Jesus, we are continually being assessed and disciplined by the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It is the evidence of God's love in his life that he disciplines and chastens us and rebukes us from time to time. Other times just pure love and comfort and building up, but he's always dealing with his children even as we are with our own. And so that's the type of judgment God discerning in our lives where we need to be disciplined that is being talked about here. And honestly, there's a lot of times in my life where I need discipline from the Lord or a rebuke from the Lord. And what I'm constantly praying, if when I die, you read my journals, what I'm constantly praying is, God, be merciful with me. Be merciful with me as you teach me, Lord, as, as you rebuke me. And what Jesus is saying in this text is, Brit, if you want that kind of mercy, then be the guy that extends that kind of mercy. It's one of the ways that God teaches us as a community to be merciful. Be merciful. It's one of the things that he does. And we also realize that with regards to judgment before God, we as Christians will give an answer for our lives before God in the way that we stewarded this life. Our talents, our treasures, our opportunities, our sphere of influence, we'll we'll give an answer. Look what it says in Corinthians. My conscience is clear, Paul says. This was when he was in a little bit of drama and there were people accusing him. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. The Lord is the judge. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of the time before the Lord returns. Speaking of the time when we'll all stand to give an answer to Jesus. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light. And will reveal our private motives. Ouch. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. And the truth about God, when He deals with our secrets and our motives, is that God always, always prefers mercy. God always wants to extend mercy but he's trying to develop and refine here the Christian body by saying, listen, if you are not merciful in other people's lives, if you you want to put them on trial, I'm going to deal with you that way to teach you what that's like. If you want to be harsh with one another, I'm going to to deal with you in a heavy-handed way. Has God ever dealt with you in a heavy-handed way? Look what James chapter 2, verse 13 says. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. That's a hard word. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So verse 2 is real. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So when I read that and I think about my own sin and the discipline and the chastening And when I stand before God, the ways that I've, you know, kind of blown my opportunities in life and I want him to be generous and merciful and gracious with me, that's the kind of man that I'm called to be than with others. That's how we're called to be with one another. Because remember, the, the Sermon on the Mount is what life within the kingdom is supposed to look like. And life within the kingdom is meant to be a reflection of the king. And he prefers mercy over judgment. Romans 14 says this, So why do you condemn, there's the idea here, okay? Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? It's exactly what our text is talking about. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each one of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Let's stop condemning each other and rather th- instead of always thinking about the ways that the other is sinning or you've let me down, how about we start looking to ourselves at our own lives? Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble. That's exactly the way that Jesus transitioned in the text. The second hint he gave us how not to engage in wrong judgment is that we should look first to ourselves and our own sin rather than to others and their sin. Verse 3. He says, and why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, dude, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice it's not about ignoring the specks. It's not about letting the specks slide. It's not about tolerating sin. It's not about sweeping it under the rug. It's not about cheap grace. Jesus is calling us to deal with the specks, but he says there is a priority. Before you go speck hunting, do some log cutting. There is a priority. And the the, the imagery that he uses is stark and, and ridiculous in an ironic sort of way. I mean, someone there with a log, picture a log, like how big do you want to go? Like, it's not a pole, it's a log, like a log hanging out of their eye. And they're trying to get close enough to like carefully extract the speck. Like it's not even possible, right? Because the log gets in the way. Listen to that. The log gets in the way. He said, take the log out and you can see clearly. We can't even view each other's lives and failures unless we can see clearly by dealing with our own lives and failures. Our perception is clouded. It's unclear. It's biased. It's corrupted. Because of that, Jesus says, first, first, deal with yourself. But what about? Don't worry about. It. Let's go Logging. And the the person pictured here with a log in their eye is obviously oblivious to their own condition and yet keenly aware of all the little problems with everyone else. Blind spot. Blind to their own condition, but keenly aware about everyone else's faults. Jesus' commentary on our proclivity to magnify our own goodness and to highlight other people's badness was in that little story he told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'll just read it to you very quickly from Luke 18. And Jesus told them this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. Jesus said, but even the tax gatherer standing some distance away was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you this, that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. I mean, in some some real ways, the Pharisee was magnifying his good stuff, right? I I tithe and I fast. And he was minimizing or refusing to see or couldn't recognize his bad stuff. Thank you that I'm not like everybody else adulterer, swindler. Wait a minute, Pharisees were swindlers if anybody was in that culture. And if you look upon woman with a lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, Jesus said. So there was a real blind spot, a log in his eye and in his life, but he would minimize his faults, magnify his merits, and to the other, it was only condemnation. But nobody here is ever like that. I am. And by doing this, by magnifying our good, minimizing our bad, and doing the opposite with other people, this is how we satisfy this evil desire within ourselves to feel and appear morally superior through experiencing the so-called pleasure of self-righteousness without experiencing the real pain of repentance. Repentance. And then Romans chapter two, verse one, sobers us. You may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we're all in that boat. might be a different thing. But before God, we do these same things. God looks down on our little community and says, wait, you're really condemning him for that when you do this? Let's stop speck hunting. Let's go log cutting, Jesus is saying. Verse 3 tells us that we can easily spot in others what we miss in ourselves what he says is hypocrisy in verse 5. Have you ever noticed that your sin looks much worse on others? Have you ever noticed that? Your sin, my sin looks much worse on others. As I said before, I'm much more gracious with myself than I am other people. When I sin, I'm like, well, that's not so bad. I mean, everybody's got flaws. If I find out somebody is doing the same sort of thing, are you kidding me? You're disgusting. Our sin looks much worse on other people. In fact, sin just looks worse on other people. We, we try to make the logs little logs and the specks really big specks. But that's not what the picture is. We're generous with ourselves, exacting with others. Listen, generous with ourselves, exacting with others, and Jesus is calling us to go the other way. To be exacting with ourselves, and generous with others. It's calling us to go the other way. This is a corrective to our usual proclivity, to excuse ourselves and demand from others. And what the hypocrite does is always makes it harder for other people and easier on himself. But what the kids in the kingdom are supposed to do is be a little harder on ourselves and easier on others. Okay, we're not talking about self-flagellation. We're not talking about condemnation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're we're, we're saying all this in the context of the gospel, that though we are wicked and deserving judgment, we've been given pardon through the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. So I'm not talking about morose introspection that gets caught up in condemnation and shame. We've been set free from shame. I'm talking about some honest, Bible-formed, Holy Spirit-helped look at oneself before we look at others. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Beware of no man more than of yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. Jesus was constantly confronting the Pharisees in the Gospels because they very clearly saw the sins of others and made sure they knew, but they very dimly saw their own. Jesus is calling us in the other direction to see ourselves more clearly, that we can actually see each other more clearly. And he pleads with us first to deal with our logs. So then we have to ask the question, what does log inspection and log cutting look like in our lives? It's got to be formed by the gospel, as I just said, forgiven, set free, no shame, no condemnation, but still understanding that we are to grow in righteousness and in sanctification according to God's word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. So what does log inspection and logging look like in our lives? Part of it has to be, as Jesus seems to be teaching here, that we have to be a little more ruthless with our sin. Don't let the log remain. Ruthless with our own sin instead of dismissive. I'm often ruthless with others and their sin, but dismissive of my own. Again, this isn't about face. To be ruthless with our sin. Jesus already said in the same sermon, if it's your eye that causes you to stumble, rip it out. Imagery language for be ruthless with your sin. Do what you got to do to follow Jesus in paths of righteousness. If it's your right hand that causes you to stumble, cut it off. You see, we're very seldom willing to be ruthless with our sin. We like to hide our sin. We like to coddle our sin. We like to cuddle our sin. We like to excuse and justify our sin. Very seldom are we ruthless with our sin for the glory of God, for our own well-being, So then there has to be some intentionality to discover our logs, because by definition, we're blind to it. He's like, dude, you have a log in your eye, you're trying to get to the spec, you can't you can't even see. Blind spot log. So there's got to be some intentionality in this. So how do how do we do that in our lives? Part of it might be inviting others in. That's always the best. Giving people, people, excuse me, space and place and permission to speak into our lives. It's not an automatic thing. That takes time. That takes developing trust, right? Making sure we know that we're loved and loving. That takes some time. But, but at some level, we need to do that as a Christian community. Invite others in to help me see my blind spots. I think it means some real steady diet of Bible reading and prayer that is introspective in the sense that I'm not just reading it for information, but I'm reading it for transformation. I'm not just praying my shopping list to God, but I'm actually saying, Spirit of God, search me and see if there be any wrong way within me. Inviting, not just to others, but inviting the Holy Spirit. And to this place where we say, Lord, speak to me about my life. Where is my life? Incongruent with your word. Not consistent with the way that you're leading me or would have me go. I think that's an important part of the Christian life that Jesus is reminding us of here. And then when we kind of start giving ourselves to that, right, then we can think more clearly about verse 12, which we'll skip to for now. Verse 12, we'll deal with the intervening verses next week, but verse 12 is an important one that you know. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. So there's the golden rule. And the way that you want people to treat you, so treat them. And the way that we would want people to point out our specs, our faults, our shortcomings, our inconsistencies, our blind spots, so treat others in that same way. And it's got to start with us. The text is very clear that this starts with us. So we don't get to say, it, the, the, the text doesn't say, in the, um, treat others in the way that they have treated you. Because that would be easy, right? Jerk, I'm going to be a jerk, you're a jerk. <laughs> treat others in the way you wish they would treat you. So I honestly, though I'm very often the last person to be this, I, I want people to be gracious with me. I want people to be merciful with me. I want love to cover a multitude of my sins. I want people to assume the best about my motives. I want people to love me enough to say, I accept you even though you've got that that thing, dude. Still accept you and I love you. And the way that I wish people would be toward me is the way that I'm called to be toward others. And so then the text would have us apply at least as strict of standard to ourselves as we apply to others because only then can we see clearly and the goal is helping each other. Right? We, we actually do want to get the specs. Like specs could be really harmful. Before first service, I went in the bathroom and there was a guy in there and he was like in a panic mode in front of the mirror doing this and his eye was all red. I was like, bro, what's wrong? He's like, my contact lens went behind my eyeball. <laughs> Just almost, I don't wear context. That sounds like a horror movie. Maybe I'm making more of it than it is, but that's like, oh my gosh. Have you ever had something caught in your eye that like you can't get out, even if it's an eyelash and it's like stuck and you're like fire hosing your eye, like everything you can do. Like it's a real issue a speck in the eye. It's a real problem. It can be more than an inconvenience. It can be really painful and debilitating. And Jesus is calling us to help one another with the specks. They hurt. They harm. But not until we've dealt with the logs. Not until we've dealt with the logs. Only then can we see clearly to help one another and act from humility. Oh yeah, you do that, Dude. Me worse, bro. Let me help you. Right? Oh, dude, I see you in that. I see that in your life. Dude, I'm, I get it. Let, let's help each other. The more clearly we see ourselves through dealing with logs, the more rightly we see others and can help them with specs. The more thoroughly we confront our own sin, the more compassionately we can help each other. Now, some people will never listen right? Those are the pigs and the dogs. Verse 6, that nasty little verse. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Oh, wow. Jesus is so gnarly. And so now we're thinking, oh yeah, dude, this one time I confronted this guy. He was such a pig about it. Wouldn't even own it. We're such a dog. And Jesus is not saying that we should think about each other as pigs and dogs. He is saying that sometimes we act like pigs and dogs. And when we put holy truth before one another, sometimes rather than receiving it for what it is, we turn on one another. So don't think about anyone else, think about yourself. I know there are times in my life when I've been a dog, a pig and that somebody confronted me about my thing lovingly, and instead of receiving it as love and asking the Lord to help me and moving toward righteousness and sanctification and transformation, I responded with venom toward them, turned on him to tear him to pieces. Like a wild pig, like a wild dog. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't want to think about anyone else in those terms. I can see myself in those terms. And Jesus would call us to something different. Proverbs was already speaking to this issue long ago. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. And you hear this and you think about, well, yeah, I think so-and-so is a mocker, so... Forget about them. No, think about yourself first is the whole point of the text. (laughs) So what times are we the mocker when we don't receive? Instead, what if we were wise and when someone came to us in love, we we loved them for, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to tell me about that. You know, a friend tells you, right? We have something in your teeth hair coming from places that shouldn't come from. <laughs> a friend, a friend, a friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend. See for the kisses of the enemy. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. I want to be wise. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Now, when we get to the place in space where we're dealing with each other's stuff, it's important to remember the sort of protocol that Jesus has given us here. So let me just put it in a couple clear bullet points. Number one, we may, number one, numero uno. Next slide. (laughs) Thanks, Randy. (laughs) I love you, bro. I'm not judging you, man. I'm not worried about it. We may confront the sin of others only after we have confronted sin in ourselves. I mean, this is a tough call. Because we see it, right? We we see each other's junk. So what do you do that? The first place we go again is logging. Second, we may confront sin when we are genuinely, genuinely concerned for the well-being of the other. That's hard. Sometimes I want to confront sin because I'm sick of him. I just want them to go away or I just want to put him in their place or I just want him to feel it. Jesus never gives us permission to front confront sin then. Again, this is not church discipline. This is not theological. This is not courts of law. This is interpersonal relationships meant to be founded on the love of Christ. We may confront sin when we are genuinely concerned with the other's well-being. Usually, it's more about my well-being when I'm willing to confront. Next. We may confront sin with the goal of restoring the other, not punishing him or her. Some real motive searching there, right? This is where we'd cross the line into judging is when we're looking to punish, to condemn, to dismiss to hurt, to remove. Jesus doesn't give us permission to do that. Next, we may confront sin in an attitude of genuine, other-centered, God-glorifying gentleness and humility. That's a hard space for me to get to, other-centered, God-glorifying gentleness and humility. Some of you are just like that. I'm, I'm like the opposite of that in my flesh. In my flesh, I want it to be Brit-centered, Brit-glorifying, and gnarly. So I find what helps me is if I back up to the first step and I go logging, and I look at my own sin first, and the Holy Spirit very gently, wonderfully helps me to see it, and that humbles me. Get my eyes on Jesus, not be so self-centered. His glory I'm gentle and I'm a little more humble because gosh, I've been humbled by my own sin. I had to deal with this log. I was worried about your speck, but I had this log. So to clarify by stating the opposite points and being redundant because preachers like to be redundant. Next slide. We do not confront sin when we are concerned primarily about our well-being. Is this about me? What I'm about to say to this person, what I'm about to point out, this meeting I'm about to have, this email I'm about to send, this prayer I'm about to pray, is this more about me? That's a good question to ask. You know, the heart is desperately wicked and full of deceit. Sometimes like... I think I'm trying to do the right thing for them, but there's some hidden motive in there, whether it's just I want to look good or I want to be the one who knew the Bible verse or I want to be the good pastor who earned his paycheck. Like there's often some other motive or I just want to be like, oh, you know, you do that. I just totally don't even struggle with that. <laughs> Next, we do not confront sin when we are concerned primarily about other sin, other sin. If like, this is the, goes back to the sin sniffer type person. If, if you're concerned mostly about others and their faults, you're probably not in the place where you should be talking about their faults. Back to step one, logging. We do not confront, I know this is redundant on purpose because I can tell you're not getting it. We do not, I'm kidding, don't judge me. We do not confront sin when we desire to punish others for their failures. No comment. We do not confront sin when we have an attitude of anger or a desire to reject. You know, like that's basic. We even know that with like our kids, right? Like you never discipline your kids out of anger, right? Like step back, count to 12, like mellow out. Is this about your anger or is this really about their well-being? Is this about loving, including, accepting, renewing, or rejecting and pushing away? Those are real questions. Because it's much easier to be like, oh, no, you blew it, and to push away. I mean, that's, that's my default. It's really hard to do this thing that Jesus is calling us to. And be clear, he's not asking us not to deal with sin. He's actually asking us to do so, but simply to start with ourselves. Don't look for specks, but discover our logs. Deal with our logs before dealing with the specks. And then when we kind of walk through these things, then we could deal with each other in a way that is not adversarial or like an enemy, but loving, like a brother or a sister, like a physician who comes with medicine, right? Because the speck hurts. Like a physician who comes with medicine. Like one who is concerned with rescuing and restoring because we are those who have been rescued and restored by Jesus. That's the whole basis of this thing. We are those who by grace, though we were deserving of condemnation, judgment, and shame, we through the cross of Jesus Christ have been rescued. We ourselves have been restored. Jesus suffered for us, though he was innocent, log-free, speck-free, suffered in our place. He was nailed to two logs in the form of a cross condemned, judged that we might be released and set free. Remember the whole theme statement to the whole sermon of Jesus on the Mount here was blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Together we've been brought into this kingdom as the undeserved rebels and sinners saved by grace, restored and rescued. So that is meant to form the way that we deal with each other's junk. Final thing, Colossians. So, right, this is a close here. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's you, Christian. As those who have been chosen of God and are holy and beloved by grace through faith, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is a perfect bond of unity. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. You notice the statement there? the indicative. You are the holy, beloved, chosen of God. And then the thing to do in response to that. We don't do any of this to earn a place before God. We in Christ have been given a place of acceptance and love as the beloved before God. So we act, we live, we be out of that. Which looks like a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. When I hold this passage up to myself as a mirror, it's not good. But you know who I see most clearly in this passage? Jesus. This is how Jesus has been with us compassionate, kind, humble to the point of the cross, gentle, patient. How patient is Jesus with you? Patient bearing with me, forgiving me. So when you get confused, look to Jesus. When the waters get a little murky and it gets down in the weeds and it all gets a little muddy and like, ah, oh, your sin, my sin, ah, oh, what do I Look to Jesus. The kingdom is meant to reflect the king. Look to Jesus. How has Jesus been with you? With me? Then let's be that way with one another. That's what he's saying. Amen? Amen. Lord, help us now with these things. I know I need great help from your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, as we move into this time of response and worship. I'm going to pray a dangerous prayer here, Lord. Help us to begin to see, maybe for the first time, our, our, our own logs. Holy Spirit, we trust you to come with gentleness and kindness, the mercy of the Lord, but we want you to come in truth. Grace and truth are in Christ. Help us discover our logs and to repent of them, to get free of them, to surrender them, to move away from them. And Lord, help us in this time of waiting on you to just get over our speck hunting, our, all the stuff we're holding against other people. There's so much in my mind right now, Lord. All, all the people that I have dismissed, well, he this, she that, they this, condemned and judged them. Forgive me, God. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to see those things and release them to you. They're yours. You love them. If I'm not the one to deal with their specs, you are. Thank you, Jesus. We can trust you. He who is without log. Meet us in these things, Lord. Minister to us and make us look more like you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.